0: Welcome into Think Deeper, presented by Focus Press. I'm your host, Joe Wilkie, joined as always by my uh, other hosts, Jack Wilkie and Will Harib, and uh, a couple exciting things. First off, congrats to Will on his uh, brand-new baby girl, Brooklyn. She is adorable and uh, looks like all is well, and, and everything was good, and, and we are praising God
1: for that, and uh, we're super happy yes, for you. Yes, yes. Yes, thank you very much. Oh, You say all is well, all except the, the sleeping schedule, but yes, every, everything <laughs> else is, is, is great. She's fantastic. Little angel. So That,
2: that sleep is going to get way better in like three or four years, man. Don't worry about it. Oh, hey. Thanks <laughs> for the <laughs> encouragement. Three or <laughs> four years. <laughs>
1: I remember <laughs> hearing
0: like... Hey, people, don't ask new parents, hey, how's the kid sleeping? They're not sleeping well. Uh, that's the answer. Right. They're not sleeping I will well. That's a stupid question.
1: I will say Jackson absolutely spoiled us. He was an incredible sleeper. He, he started sleeping through the night before he was one. Like with absolutely no problem and still lucky dog. Night. So we 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 knew that we were uh, very blessed with that, and we probably would not get replicated with the second kid. So we'll we'll see we'll see. She's still got a chance, I guess.
0: Well, who knows? My second kid was nuts, but we love him to death. <laughs> so yeah, you never know. You never know. Jack, I like the Robbie. He's a he's a good kid, but. Anyway, the uh, the second thing we're super excited about is we have a major sale. Jack, I'm going to kick it off to you to kind of explain this. We have a major sale going on this entire week, Christmas in July, on the site. So make sure to go check it out. But Jack, share the details with them. Yeah, just focuspress.org,
2: F-O-C-U-S-P-R-E-S-S. I mean, that's, that's who we are, dot, uh, O-R-G. Uh, our store, I mean, almost everything in the store is 25% off or more. Uh, That would include books written by myself and Will and uh, Dr. Brad Harab, Joe's Get Out of Porn uh, Handbook, Um, uh, Family Worship Guide, DVDs, lessons that Brad has done on on transgenderism and homosexuality and parenting and Christian evidences, Uh, all-time, you know, some of our top sellers like uh, Brad's Convicted uh, Apologetics book, My Church Reset book. If you've heard of it, if you if you haven't heard of it, go go search our store. I mean, we've got something for everybody. We got teen devos; those are on sale. You name it, twenty five percent off. Uh, I don't think we have ever done a sale this big, and so uh, I know take advantage you know, of it. Yeah, take advantage of it. It's a great way to help support our ministry, support this podcast, the work that we do. Uh, there's there's some great material on there. Uh, I'm, I'm biased in saying that, but I've really benefited from it even before. Uh, I worked at Focus, and so uh, I know you will too. So check that out at focuspress.org. And with that, let's go ahead and roll into the episode. We're continuing on. We, we talked last week about you can trust your Bible. When you say that, one of the first things uh, an atheist, a non-believer, is going to do is raise their hand and say, well, what about all the con- contradictions in the Bible? The Bible says some things in one place, says something in another one, and we're going to kind of run the gamut here. of there's some that are just truly goofy that you can wave away in five seconds and there are others that you look at and go, oh, that's kind of hard. That that gives me pause a little bit. Um, and so uh, I think one of the Christian responses is just, well, we take it on faith. You know, it might be a mistake, but that's okay. Or, oh, wow, that that is a mistake, and therefore maybe the Bible not inspired. I think with all of these, there's a principle that, that we have to bring to this. And Will was talking about it right before we got recording. So why don't you set us up with that before we get into the specifics here?
1: Yeah, and... Obviously, there's a reason why we did last week's episode first, that is establishing why we can be, not just reasonably sure, incredibly confident that the Bible is inspired, the Bible is from God, and we again, you think about, if you didn't listen to last week, I encourage you to go back and listen, because it's important that you start with that groundwork of, look, we can know the Bible's inspired based off of the scientific accuracy, based off of all the prophecies, based off the factual accuracy, the archaeology, all those things. And again, as we talked about last week, that mountain of evidence is just so high that we can be confident the Bible is inspired. Well, if we come to the table with that, that belief and with that confidence that, yes, the Bible is expired, or expired, inspired, then I when we, Yeah, no, it's not expired. Definitely not. It's inspired. Then when we look at God's Word and we see a quote-unquote alleged contradiction, we can look at it and go, okay, it's not going to be God that has that has made a mistake. It's not going to be God's understanding that's incorrect. It's probably going to be humans' understanding that's incorrect. And again, a lot of people go into it with like, oh, that's a contradiction. Man, we as humans must have it right and God must have it wrong. If we're already coming to the table with the belief and with the confidence that the Bible is inspired, if we see an alleged contradiction, this is what a lot of young people don't get, if we see it, we need to go. Okay, there must be something wrong with the way I'm interpreting it. Must be something wrong with the way, um, you know, that that we as humans are are looking at it. There there might be missing details, rather than just automatically jumping to, oh, there's one mistake. Ah, Bible must not be inspired. Bible must be full of errors. Again, a lot of people, and as we spoke about last week, they want to justify living the way that they want to, and so pulling up websites like 101 alleged contradictions are a great way for people to say, oh, see, look how many contradictions in the Bible. guess I don't have to believe it or follow it or do what it says. And again, you have to come to the table understanding it's probably my knowledge and my understanding that's off, not God's.
0: Well, that's exactly it. I feel like it's the lazy man's, the lazy man's way of Bible study. Well, you know, I, I Googled all these contradictions, and here they are. I mean, uh, I guess the, the Bible's full of contradictions, and they'll say that. The Bible's just full of contradictions.
1: You hear this, and you see this online. And this is one of skeptics' biggest, biggest uh, attacks against the Bible is the contradictions. Sorry yeah, mention, that's really. exactly what they and say. Well, you see it I mean,
2: it makes a lot of sense, right, of if you say this book is inspired and given to man by God, and you look in it, and it's just chock full of errors, of, of details that it gets wrong— that would be a big problem, and we, we talked about last week, like, Luke and some of those details that he gives, or the prophecies and things like that, where it's like, whoa, how on earth would humans have gotten this stuff right? And so that is the strong indication of, man, this is something divine and not of human nature, but they would come back around and say, well, but here's, here's these mistakes, clearly it is of human nature. Well they didn't do anything to explain how those prophecies like they, they they didn't debunk anything like that and so they still they've got that problem in their corner but we still have to wrestle with this one we still have to to handle this as and as we talked about last week this isn't a sword in which you're going to ever convince somebody look I can go through every one and convince you that this one's not a contradiction this one's not and they're going to go oh okay I guess I'll be a christian no this is more for us as christians to say okay, sometimes it feels like the Bible might have made a mistake. What Can I really trust it and, and to shore up that foundation?
0: And I think some people are going to be legitimately looking for truth, going, okay, but how do you explain a few of those things? And that's kind of what we want to get into on this episode is, look, there's a lot of stupid ones. The average guy that comes along and just goes, well, the Bible has 101 contradictions, and I just read this site, and, and some of them are like, look at the dimensions of the ark given, you know, back at the beginning of Genesis, and look at the dimensions of the ark given in Exodus, and it's like, it's two different arcs. But they post this on a site, and so you have some guy going around legitimately believing the Bible is contradicting itself based on two different arcs. You've got this gigantic arc, and then this little box that could be carried on poles, and as well,
2: I well, that... the
1: dimensions are <laughs> different. <laughs> right. <laughs> I
0: mean, exactly. Well, so what this podcast is for is not debunking those. Come on. I mean, that's we don't need to do any research on that. We're going to start with the
1: easy. We're going to move to a little bit of the harder, though. Um, and and because I will say, like, And I'm sorry to keep cutting you off, Joe. I apologize. I I taught this for some of the young people in Decatur. And the way that I did it was I I put up three or four on the screen, talked them through, okay, this is why we know it's not. This is, um, you know, some principles to understand. And then I gave them like eight more alleged contradictions. And I said, all right, you guys tell me why this is not a contradiction. And, you know, I'll give them credit. They did a good job. But, you know, on the surface, you know, I could tell they looked at it and they were like, oh, man, you know, I've that clearly looks to be like a contradiction. I've never heard this before. And I think that's what a lot of it is for young people is that they've never heard this before. You know, because as we belabored before, they kind of get the same Bible stories, they get the plan of salvation, they get kind of the same stuff over and over again, that the minute somebody hits them or they, they stumble across a website with a, again, a, a legitimate looking contradiction, not the the ARC ones or some other dumb ones that we've got here, but like a legitimate looking one, they're 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 shocked. They don't know what to do because it's like, Oh man, this this does look like a contradiction. And so those are the ones that we really want to kind of talk about here with this episode.
0: Yeah, you get into like and because it is this whoa, I've never seen that. Well, yeah, in numbers the son of Jebediah, you know, and then but over in Obadiah, you know, it says the son of Shealtiel and you're which one is it? And it's like I've I've barely read those. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people are like right. I don't ever remember seeing that name in my life. And so it's just this it seems so confusing and it's like, wow, is there legitimacy? And then you realize, yes, one's referring to the grandfather and one's referring to the father. I mean, things like that along the way, we'll get into it. Um, but I think you made a really good point in the fact that a lot of this, you, they throw it up toward you and go, Hey, this is a contradiction. You go, Whoa, I've never seen that. Once again, going back to the foundation, the Bible is not wrong. And I completely, completely believe that fully. So if, if something is wrong, it must be my understanding of it being wrong. So Jack, to your point, this is to shore up our faith. This is to say, I already believe the Bible's accurate, but what about some of these things? And if there is a legitimate seeker who says, I genuinely don't know, yes, that's great. For the average guy that just throws up the atheist website and says, well, this is why I don't believe in the Bible. Okay. That's dishonest. Like you let's, let's have a back and forth. And so with that, Will, it looks like you got
1: something else. I'll I'll just say, yeah, there's several principles that are not original to me. I heard them from my dad and they might not be original to him. Um, So I'd, just want to get that out there. We're going to give those at the, later on in the episode. We're going to start off with some contradictions right now, alleged contradictions right now. Um, but stay tuned for that because there are some principles to to keep in mind whenever you're you're looking at again alleged contradictions to consider. Okay, is it actually? But Joe, you're about to get us into it. I'll go ahead. I think the way we're going to do it is we're going to one of us is going to unleash an alleged contradiction and make the other two kind of uh, tell us why it's not. We said we are going to start easy, so uh, we'll start real easy. Um, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, but Romans 14, verse 5 says, One man esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. So clearly, guys, this is a contradiction, because in Exodus 20, it's saying that the Sabbath day is to be kept holy and, and basically above the rest, whereas in Romans 14, it says Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind that again, there's basically no difference in the days. So, I don't know about you guys, that pretty clearly, to me, seems like a contradiction. Jack, you want to tee up on that or (laughs) me?
2: Yeah, this is in that tier of things of, like, you don't have the basic understanding of what the Bible is even trying to talk about, and so, oh yeah, that looks like a contradiction, because, like, on on paper, with no context, no understanding of, of the Christian religion at all, that does look different. Of course we know, you know, the Old Testament, the Old Law versus the New, but also, we all still elevate Sunday above the rest of the days. It's when we get together, we worship, and all that, and and, and we take of, of the fruit of the vine and the body, and and all of that that goes into it. And so, is that a contradiction before esteeming one day over another? No. It's it, Romans fourteen, of course, is talking about your your personal observations, uh, you know, holidays, holidays so yeah, right. things like that. You know, it was it was Jew and Gentile blending together, and so what each you know cultural references each one was bringing to the table. It's not saying, well, you might want to come to church on Sunday, and you might want to come to church on Tuesday, so you guys get
1: to do what you want. Like, come on. I mean, and, it, uh, go ahead. And let me point out, this is the first one on the American Atheist website of Biblical Contradictions. The very first one. It's not like we are digging, like, okay, let's find a really easy one. No, this is the first one. And you'll see these a lot on a lot of these sites where the first one, sometimes the first several, it's like, okay, those those are ridiculous.
0: Yeah, I, I would say it's it comes down to a matter of context. Paul is talking about feast days. He's talking about the difference with Jews and Gentiles and coming together and matters of opinion and everything else. The Sabbath is, you know, that is something that has gone back to creation of God taking a rest day. And I think the the us coming together on Sunday and making it the Lord's Day, of course that's going to be elevated in terms of how we approach God. And so Paul's not making the case that we're not, like Jack said, you know, that well, there's no such thing as the Lord's Day. It's all kind of no, there is. He's talking about these feast days where the Jewish brethren are, are, or the Gentile brethren are struggling with the Jewish feast days, or some people think vice versa, and it's Gentile feast days or whatnot, but that they're struggling and that these are, he's saying they're matters of opinion. So you're taking two completely different contexts and um, trying to merge them together. But I do think that the Lord's day, and, and or if you want to say the Sabbath, is very important to God. Still is that we give that day over to him. So All right. I think it's my turn. Um, Yeah, I think it's my turn. So, on punishing crime, Ezekiel 18 has, and this is also on American Atheist, atheist atheist.org, the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father in Ezekiel 18 verse 20, but Exodus 20 verse 5 talks about how God is a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generations. So, which is it? Do you... Does the kid bear the iniquity,
1: or does the, uh, or, or does he not I'm trying to travel to, to get the context here. We are, we are going from these with no uh, I had no idea which one Joe was going to go with next. So let me just get there real quick. Ezekiel, what is it 18? 18, Yeah, the whole chapter of Ezekiel 18 is basically like, hey,
0: you're going to bear your own, your own sins, and you can it, it's, it's kind of our linchpin against Calvinists doctrine of of original sin of like you don't bear the sin of your father you bear your own sin but we also see it's visiting on the third and fourth what
1: i yeah so what i would say is there's a lot of emphasis in the old testament especially with the israelites about faith that's passed down to the generations and essentially like part of the israelites duty was not just to make sure that they stayed faithful was to make sure that their kids stayed faithful and so the reverse of that to me is was is true what god is getting at there. And Exodus is like, look, if you as a people, if you as a nation haven't, you know, commit iniquities and trespasses and basically don't believe in me, that's going to carry on to the next generations. And that's only going to uh, persist throughout the generations. Whereas obviously what we believe and what seems to be talking about there in Ezekiel is that, you know, if, if Jack murders somebody that the guilt for that murder does not pass on to his son, uh, the, the guilt for, you know, adultery or the guilt for you name it, like. Kids are not born with the, with the guilt of their fathers the, 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 as far as the, the sin that they committed. However, you have a family, you have a lineage, you have a group of people that tend toward disobeying God and tend toward rebellion against God. You know, To me, that's what it's talking about there is like, look, for the Israelites, you honor me, you pass it on to your kids, you're going to do well, you're going to live long in the land, the promised land, which we see a lot. You don't. That's going to be remembered, so to speak, whenever you're, you know, four generations down the road. Jack, what would you have to add?
2: Yeah, I mean, you're onto something right there with guilt. That's the half. Of it. The other is is the consequences. Because okay, you murder somebody, the kids aren't guilty for that. They do pay the consequences of their dad not right. being around, of the social stigma, of whatever. You know, I mean, things like you, hate, you really hate to see, but like fetal alcohol syndrome, or the you know the mother you know took drugs while the baby was in there. That's not the kid's fault. The guilt is fully on the mother. The consequences do get passed down, and and you look throughout the Old Testament how badly the social consequences got passed down—famines and, and bad things that people's kids had to live through because of what their parents did, because their parents went after idols. And so we still see generational not, curses today. Oh yeah, I, man, I think because we're so individualistic, we really play that down. That's a real thing that you know that that things stay in the family, and we talk about breaking generational curses, and uh, you know of. Uh, addiction or or whatever it is you know anger in a family and things like that of going yeah that i'm not guilty of it until i do it but the consequences are there uh, and so that i i mean that that's a really actually a powerful teaching is the differences between the two of those things rather than it's not a contradiction it it's shows how god works with human failure anything to add joe
0: No, I was going to, I think that's the same. You could go off into a genetics discussion and and kind of passing down, but that's always fascinating, but that's for a different podcast. So we'll do that. uh, We'll do that later. Um, but no, I think that's exactly it is the consequences versus the legitimate sin. We don't obviously believe in original sin. It's not being passed down. Every person sin is missing the mark, right? It's, it's your own relationship with God, but yes, the consequences, the curses, all of that does visit the iniquity visits all the way down the line until somebody breaks that. And, um, yeah. So I think that's, uh, because it's kind of the exact opposite of Deuteronomy six of the Shema training up your children, teaching them that's intended to be generational as well. That's intended to go down to the third and fourth generations, which actually does mention four generations in the Shema. Right. And so that's a generational thing that's now taken into like second Timothy two, two, and the generational things that go along. So the third and fourth generations are mentioned in the Bible a few different times. And it's, it's either to the positive or to the negative, and in this situation, it's to the negative. But it's the same thing that if I'm, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to, I can't guarantee my grandkid or great-grandkid is going to be faithful, but he's got a lot better chance if I am doing what I'm supposed to and following God. So that would be my understanding. All right, Jack, your turn.
2: Okay, there's some... Uh, I'm trying to stack it, though, as we said, of like getting to the easier ones because there's some really good ones I want to get to, but I'm going to start with this one. Uh, the power of God. Uh, they, they give, with God, all things are possible in Matthew nineteen twenty six 26. Uh, Judges one nineteen. 19. Oh, oh, you had this one on your list, too? <laughs> yeah. I, I thought this was an interesting <laughs> one, but I think it's pretty Joe, simple. So you're going first on
1: this one. <laughs> uh,
2: Judges one nineteen The Lord was with Judah. He drove out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. A translation is not, uh, is not helping the case there. Uh, because others don't make it sound like it was God's fault. It says they could not drive out the inhabitants, but it, it does say God was with them. But then they couldn't do it. You also have Jesus in, uh, I believe it's Mark six, when he's in Nazareth. It says he could not do any further miracle there because of their unbelief. And so, is are all things possible with God, or does sometimes he run into uh, limitation?
0: Well, I don't, I don't think he ever runs into limitation. I think he allows certain things to be a limit for the people that he's dealing with. Um, And I mean, if that was the case, you could look at Gideon and go, well, there's a major limitation. You're talking 100,000 versus 300. God always finds a way. So it's not a matter of, oh, God just couldn't deal with the chariots. You're talking one of the most vicious armies on the planet Earth at the time, and he beats them with water pitchers and torches. Like God has a way. Um, Why they didn't, why he didn't decide to, it could have been that they had a lack of faith and that, that their hearts melted very much like the, you know, the the ten spies versus, or with um, Joshua and Caleb being the only ones that are willing to say, hey, I think we can take them. They had a lack of faith, and we can't do that. And so it's possible that that's where God uses people who have the faith to do it. That's the point of Jericho. That's the point of Gideon. That's the point of all of these. That's the point of Christ in in Mark 6 of there has to be faith accompanying so God can work through those who have faith. And if they don't have faith, and if these people looked at the, the iron chariots and are like, we can't do it, God is not going to overtake, like, this is where free will comes in. He's not going to overtake somebody's free will to force them into something. He will be with them, but they need to have the faith to do it themselves. That would be my understanding and my interpretation of that. The other,
1: the other thing is look at the point Jesus is trying to make in Matthew 19, verse 26, when he's trying to illustrate the fact that man can look at something and go, oh yeah, there's no chance, and with God there is. And that's the point with with verse 26 when he's talking about the the rich man, you know, entering the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through out needle, all this stuff. And so verse 25, the disciples heard it and were greatly astonished and basically then asked, okay, well, then who can be saved? You know, it's not possible. And that's when he comes back and says, okay, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And so the point is that God stretches the, God can, God has the ability to stretch what we might believe to be the limits of man uh what what might what we might believe to be the limits of things god overrules that and god um you know he that that's not something that applies to god is that he can do these things that we might look at and say oh yeah there's no way um does that mean he's always obligated to no does that mean you know that we're going to you know always have things go our way no but you also you look back again at the what was the other one judges 119 um my translation does say they could not drive it out and so I do think that's an important distinction to make that you know God was with the Israelites in everything in every battle back then doesn't mean they won every single battle or that there were no casualties or anything like that to me it's 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 putting two things that aren't it's apples to oranges here would, would be my thing which a lot of you see that a lot with these contradictions is that they're they're pulling a verse from one spot where the context is something and they're trying to to establish the meaning of it in a completely different context of it when it's just apples to oranges. Jack, would you have anything to add to to those two? Yeah, I mean, just God puts
2: limitations on himself. Uh, When you're talking about an infinite God entering a finite universe that that he created and set up with certain rules and and things like that, he does limit himself. And in the case of like Jesus not healing in Nazareth, he had set up that that rule of like, I'm not just going to force healing on somebody. They need to have faith. And Nazareth didn't have faith, and so... You know, it says he could not do any miracles there. Like, I mean, could he have physically? Was he capable? Yes, but within the rules he had set for himself, of like, I'm not going to force healing on somebody who doesn't want it. Okay, then in the same sense, you know, they could use, well, God is not willing for any to perish. Well, and and there's that conversation about the divine will of God. Well, does God always get what he wants? Well, how is he an all-powerful God if some people are not going to be saved? Well. When you create free will, I mean, like that's a rule that he has set for himself to abide by, and he does. And so that doesn't mean he's incapable. It means he's consistent. It means he's honest. It means you know he's, he's trustworthy. And so I, I would just add that to it as well. All right, we ready to go on to the next layer here? Yeah,
1: I think it's I think it's my turn. Um, this one, because you guys have heard it, is probably going to be very easy for you as well. But this is one that I know stumped a lot of the young people that I was working with back in Decatur when I threw this one up. How did Judas die? So Matthew 27, verse 5, and this is what a lot of people know, their knowledge is how Judas died. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and and he hung himself. Then you go over to Acts chapter 1, verse 18, where it's talking about Judas and it says, Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out. Kind of a gross verse there, but pretty clearly, two different descriptions of the way that Judas died. One describing how he hung himself, and one describing how he fell, hit his head, and all his guts basically gushed out. So, contradiction or not, what do you guys have to say? Well,
0: it's a uh, scientific thing more than anything. You hang yourself, the body ends up bloating, it falls, and that's how it bursts out. I don't know about you, but me tripping on a chair right now, I would hope, I mean, I'm overweight for sure, but I would hope that my entrails don't just burst out, um, Falling—that is a gruesome visual, man. Just, it, it really yeah, is. Yeah. Like, be, be careful when you get up and walk out of the room, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it makes sense that he would hang himself, and then something like the rope would would bust. The body has already expanded due to everything that takes place after, and um, then you end up falling. And so, when it talks about well, which one killed, which one actually killed him, you could say. In a roundabout way, both. I mean, that's really when his body was destroyed. Um, whereas the hanging itself was what would cause the body to bloat and do those things, and, and kind of scientifically prepare the way for the more gruesome verse. Jack, what's what's your understanding?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it doesn't have to. Uh, this is one that that is a principle that applies to a lot of these contradictions. If if it can be both, if both things could have happened, then it it's not a contradiction.
1: They're not mutually exclusive, right? Exactly. And a lot of times it's it's
0: timing as well. With most of these contradictions, you look at the time of when things took place. And while well, it says he went here, but then he went there, could both not have happened, right? To your point of it's not mutually excu- exclusive, but it's also the time of we're not necessarily talking simultaneous. We're talking over a period of time how these things took place. So, yeah,
1: anything you'd add to that, Will? Nope, nope. That one's always been pretty easy to me. But again, for an unsuspecting young person that can look at it and go, that's two different causes of death clearly a contradiction sometimes it's just taking that extra extra step into okay well could both of them happen and in this case clearly to me it could have because in acts 18 doesn't say that that's when he died it just says this is what happened and so anyway moving on all right uh here's one for you so the gospel say that two thieves
0: were crucified along with Jesus did both thieves mock Jesus Of course, we think the one is is said he's going to be with him in paradise. Of course, Luke twenty three, in Mark fifteen thirty two, it says, "Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross, so that we may see and believe." Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. So we're both insulting him, or was just one insulting? So
1: this is where. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say. So this is where an interesting point was made, and I I think it was in the movie The Case for Christ which is um, describing, it's a, a Hollywood movie, but it's describing the, the story of Lee Strobel, who was a devout atheist and who set about to prove his wife wrong, who was a Christian. And so he had started investigating Jesus, and one of his objections was the Gospels describe things differently. That, you know, and th- this is one of those examples, that Luke gives the details of how one of the thieves... Uh, requests for Jesus to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. Well, here in Mark, it you know doesn't include that. In fact, it says that those who were crucified with him reviled him. One of the points that was made in that movie that I thought was very interesting is that yes, these you know e- even if you have the belief and the assumption that, that the Bible is inspired, if you have four different accounts that were written by men, would you not expect to get a few different details? The point was made that if all the details were exactly the same. And it was written exactly the exactly in exactly the same way. First of all, there would be no need for four different Gospels. But second of all, wouldn't that arouse suspicion even more? And that always kind of stuck with me like, yeah, that would be really fishy if every single detail was exactly the same and it was written the exact same way. And to me, that's one of those instances here where maybe Mark was not—and I know a lot of people believe that that Mark was kind of just uh, ripping off Peter and what Peter had written down. But in, in this instance— would it not make sense that Mark simply was not given the divine inspiration of the detail that um, the uh, thief, the the other thief, actually had this whole conversation with Jesus, and the only thing that he was given the knowledge of was that yeah he was mocked by um, you know the, the, some of the those who were crucified with him, and so he simply includes that detail, whereas Luke was was divinely inspired with the detail of. The thief, because again, you think about it, there's a reason Matthew doesn't include it. There's a reason John doesn't include it. There's a reason, obviously, Mark doesn't include it. It was only Luke, and I don't know. To me, it's pretty clear that Mark, in this instance, was not given that divine detail, and so he simply chalked it up as he was he was ridiculed by even those who were with him, uh, versus Luke, who was given the detail of no one of the thieves was you know respecting and honoring and even requested for him to be remembered. Uh, the other option that I don't necessarily quite uh, subscribe to as much, as that maybe they both initially started mocking, and then maybe one of them later on realized, oh no, this guy's actually the Christ, and that's when he requested for Jesus to come into the, or for him to remember him when Jesus came into the kingdom. So, that goes back to the time thing that Joe was talking about. It doesn't necessarily, I mean, Jesus was on the cross for a period of time that we know because of the, all the sayings that we have, so that's possible as well. Jack, what would you say? Yeah, I I see the argument against
2: that latter one about him coming around, but I also uh, think there's there's some validity to it because you see like the the centurion standing by the cross just going whoa uh, th- this guy was important like this was this was really something and so it's and the thief seemed to espouse seemed to hold to some familiarity with what Jesus had taught because of the claim that he made of you know remember me and so he he knew what Jesus claimed was going to happen. And so it's entirely possible he was like Peter and and like many others seeing Jesus go to the cross. Like, well, clearly this guy's a fraud. And, you know, then later on, like, well, he's not a fraud. And I, I believe what he said. And I, I believe he's still got work to do after this kind of thing, which is possible. I, I mean, there's, and this goes back to our original principle of like, if that is in, uh, a possibility, which it is entirely a possibility, then this isn't a contradiction. You know, it, it like, if if it were that two of them did and one didn't, okay, then that would be a contradiction. But he was up there for a while, as you said. There there was time for this to unfold, and so it certainly leaves the possibility open for something like that. And I said, as I said, we already have an example of one guy standing right there having his mind changed, and so that that, right. that would happen to two of them is not far fetched. I don't believe Joe.
0: No, that's that's a good explanation. I'd say the same. I, that's what I was thinking. Is just the time up there. He's on there for a while. So it is possible that the longer this goes, the more the guy kind of it's it's one of those, you know, that Jesus did no wrong, but you're kind of ridiculing because, hey, you're in a bad spot. You're crucified to a cross like you're probably pretty bitter at life at that point. But just to see the way Jesus is handling himself, to see the mocking, the spitting, things like that, it could have been that slowly it kind of changed his mind as to this guy really didn't do anything. Like I'm mocking him initially and then realizing, man,
1: he does not deserve to be up here. I think that's fully plausible. So that would be. Well, and like again, to go back to the first thing that I brought up, let's say the three of us get in a car wreck and Jack's the one driving because we know he's the worst dri- the worst driver. <laughs> if um Hey now hey, hey. <laughs> let's say let's say we get in a car wreck and the police talk to Joe and they talk to Jack, but they don't talk to me. How easy would it be for somebody to to tell somebody else a story like, yeah, the Think Deeper guys were were in a wreck, Jack was driving and the other the other guys were talking to the police too. Like, you know, that's that's a minor detail that I technically didn't talk to the police, but Joe did, but it still does not necessarily make what they said incorrect. You see what I'm saying? So, anyway. Jack Who's
0: had that uh, Texas driving for a decade, so that's fully plausible.
2: Yeah, driving. Uh, no, to that, that, that means I'm a good driver. That means I had to uh-huh. <laughs> go, you had to I tailgate guess.
0: people at 90 the way everybody else in Dallas does. <laughs> Hey, don't
1: insult our Texas listeners
0: here. Yeah, sorry, Texas. I'm sure they're probably frustrated (laughs) at it, too, unless you're one of those. They know. Don't tailgate people at 90. They
2: know, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's right. They know what I'm talking about. All right, uh, Jack, is that... Is that... No. Is it my
2: turn? Yeah, I think it's Jack's go. Okay. Uh, Let's see. How how far into this are we? I don't don't want to run out of time, but okay, let's get into one of these good ones. Does God tempt... James one thirteen. let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Genesis 22, it came to pass after these things, God did tempt Abraham. It, it, they do like picking the King James because it really works with what they're saying. But even among that, there are things like uh, in the Old Testament with uh, Micaiah and God sending the deceiving spirit, um, you know, and... You know, there there's some challenging ones in there. Of does God tempt us? Does God, uh, you know, and and of course, there some people will twist the ones about uh, the testing and calling that tempting. But I, I I think we can dismiss that. But does God put temptations in front of us?
1: I think you I have think, to understand. Yeah, I think it's your turn to go first. No, no, no. I no. Want you to go first. No, you you had no, some go to go for before. Well, I think <laughs> it's probably what you were going to say. We have to understand the difference between something that tests our faith and maybe even tests our loyalty to God versus something that that pushes us in the direction of evil, something that that pushes us towards evil, which to me is what tempting is and what James is talking about. God cannot push someone headlong into temptation. God, to me, cannot even set a temptation in in front of somebody. That's to me what he's talking about when he says God cannot tempt anyone because he cannot be tempted by evil. There's a difference, though, in tempting someone towards evil, pushing them towards evil, and testing their faith, testing them. To me, that's clearly what he did in Genesis chapter 22, verse one. Uh, which again, that's why I'm not a big King James Version fan because it does say "does say tempt" as the, a better translation is that he tested. And I think that's that's really the difference here. You talk about the the spirit, the deceiving spirit with Mackay. God can test our faith. God can test us. There are there are trials that we can go through. There are things that uh, you think about. Job. Did God tempt Job to evil because he allowed Satan to do what he did? no was that was that a testing yes it was and to me it, those things are it's not an equivalency to say that those two are exactly the same thing i think we can be tested in our faith today doesn't mean that god is the one that is you know opening the door for temptation and shoving us headfirst through that door of temptation it means that there's something in front of us that we have to decide are we going to remain loyal to god or are we not going to what would you have to say
0: yeah, I, I don't know that I would add too much to that. I would That's kind of what I was thinking, and, and I agree with Jack in the fact that testing maybe not isn't the only explanation that you can give, though I do think God does test us in those ways. I, this one's one that I don't—when I say I struggle with it, it's not that it's a biblical contradiction. I do struggle with some of the concepts of— and I know how it goes with Pharaoh. Well, you know, the same sun hardens clay and softens butter. No, it, it legitimately says that you know he's he's bringing these things about and like changing Pharaoh's heart and things like that. And so does and that's a different kind of contradiction of does God give us free will and whatnot. Um, but I think it's in the similar vein of like I think God does allow us to go into some of these things and places, circumstances that will specifically allow for potential sin and potential righteousness depending on what we choose. Um again, same thing with Job as you mentioned. And so for that from that perspective I think what James is trying to get at is hey, this is on you. Don't go blaming God for you deciding to walk headlong into sin and and you doing what you're going to do and closing your ears to the to the word, right? I mean, that's really the point of James 1 is the double-minded man unstable, right? God's not God's not unstable. He's There's no variation shifting shadow. Like, he is always going to be there. We're the ones that move. We're the ones that that pull away from him. So James is making that point, and I think, you know, with Genesis and some of the other ones, there's kind of more of the relational element of God is working with us to bring about the relationship with him. In so doing, there are times where he allows certain things in our path and maybe even places certain things in our path the same way he asks Abraham to go kill his own son. Like, well, so God is enticing, he's tempting Abraham to sin by murder. Well, then that goes everything against, you know, goes against everything we know about God. He's not, he's asking Abraham to commit sin is what it sounds like there. No, he's testing Abraham to see what are you willing to do for me? What are you willing to give up? Um, I, I look at that differently. Some people might look at that and say, God is tempting Abraham to sin by having him kill his own son. It's not a temptation if you don't want to do it. Like... Abraham didn't want to kill his son. It was a testing of the faith, and so I think a lot of that kind of explains it too. But Jack, I'm curious your thoughts on it since you kind of brought it up, and and you know what what do you make of the testing? And I'd like to know your thoughts on the Micaiah part as well.
2: Yeah, I mean the testing, tempting obviously is different. Um, that it was go kill your son is obviously you know is what makes that one incredibly uncomfortable. But I mean you just get around to the point of well that's what God did like he did it himself too and so it's not uh, you have to count that into uh, his factoring but the Micaiah one I gotta admit that's really hard it's in 1st Kings 22 I think it's in 1st Chronicles 18 I want to say or is it 2nd Chronicles um, but 1st uh, Kings 22 where uh, Ahab is is wanting to, to go up uh, to battle with uh, kind of to team up with uh, Israel and Judah and uh, Jehoshaphat and Jehoshaphat says hey let's Let's check with the prophets. And they're all like, yeah, go ahead. You're going to win. And he's like, yeah, is there is there any like real prophets? And Ahab just says, well, there's this guy, Micaiah, but I hate him because he's always saying bad things about me. Like, yeah, that's, yeah. As we often hear, he's too negative. <laughs> uh, and so uh, Micaiah comes uh, and, and sarcastically says, yeah, go for it. You're going to win the battle. And the, they kind of come back around like, come on, man, tell the truth. And he's like, yeah don't do it, it's not going to work, you know, I'm going to speak the truth from God is what I'm going to tell you, and no, you're not going to win, and then at the end of it, Micaiah gives the account of, I I saw the vision, I saw how this came to pass, God wanted to bring Ahab down, and essentially asked his host, his court, how are we going to do this, and one being, one spirit in the court said, well, I'll just go put a deceiving or be a deceiving spirit to those prophets that'll tell him to go up for battle and then he'll go up to battle and he'll die and he will uh verse 22 or then uh, verse 21 of first kings 22 then a spirit came forward and stood before the lord and said i will entice him the lord said to him how and he said i will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets then he said you were to entice him and also prevail go and do so now therefore behold the lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets and the lord has proclaimed disaster against you that's pretty weird, man. That is a lot to wrestle with, and uh, I think it was um, Michael Heiser, which we've talked about a little bit before. He's the guy that has the unseen realm, talks about the angels and demons and the heavenly host and all that, really gets into this of essentially God has this host, this this court of, of beings around him uh, that are spirits that, that work for him, and, and we kind of get glimpses of them from time to time, um, and they're they're not just all yes men I mean they're they're independent agents I mean not in de- fully independent but they're agents that can do things like this and so with this God just says yeah go for it that'll work um, and so in a sense it seems God condones I mean this is a really hard one um, there are explanations for it but I'm, I'm going to throw it to you guys before I, I pick it back up any thoughts? What I would
0: say is he knows the nature of Ahab and the fact that he is going to turn and it's it's the same explanation I think it's kind of lame but at the same time it's the best explanation that i have it's the same one for pharaoh when you know somebody's heart you know something's going to work and that's why he says you'll prevail it's not that god causes to prevail it's that look if ahab if you're going to turn back i'll be a deceiving spirit we still have deceiving things i i think we're still spiritual warfare we'll we'll get it we've done a podcast on that we're going to do another one i think but you know, I do think that there are deceiving spirits that still come in and try to deceive us and try to entice us towards sin. And and that's how Satan works. And the spiritual warfare of Ephesians six, if we're turning toward God, those things don't prevail because we're protected by Christ. If we're turning toward ourselves, those things absolutely prevail. So he goes down and says, all right, I'll try to change things. And I'm going, it's a spiritual warfare battle, Ephesians six style. He's going down to do it. If Ahab turns toward God in that moment, it doesn't prevail knowing Ahab, knowing Pharaoh, knowing people like that, I think it, it absolutely will prevail because God knows. And so it hastens things a little further along, but wouldn't it? So you say, well, God is tempting. No, he's allowing them to go headlong into their folly. And maybe he's speeding that up by providing opportunities for them to speed up their own folly. But ultimately it's still Ahab making that decision. And if at any point he had said, you know what, I'm a little over my head. I need to turn toward God. I don't think it would have prevailed. But Ahab was a horrible person, backed by a even worse wife. So that's, in my opinion, why God can say it prevails. So he allows Ahab to be tested and kind of be tempted in that way. But Ahab still had personal choice to, to kind of turn back. That would be my understanding of I
1: don't know how much to add. I think that was a really good explanation. I think also in that
2: chapter, you you see God like laying out the blueprint, you know, where there are the false prophets, Micaiah comes, tells the truth, says, I have to tell the truth as God gives it to me, and he does, and then comes back around and says, oh, and by the way, the reason those other guys didn't tell you the truth, that's something God allowed to happen, and so as, as somebody put it, like, if if you tell somebody, hey, I'm lying to you, you're not really lying to them. Like, if you're telling them, hey, that thing I just said, that's not actually true, but he was so deluded that he wanted to believe it, that he did it anyway. It's all his fault. And so God kind of allowed this spirit to create the the pitfall for Ahab, but also said, hey, there's that pitfall there, man. You can avoid it if if you're just smart enough to listen up and do it, but you're not going to because you're Ahab. And so like, hey, I'm giving you every opportunity to know what's right here, and you're still going to fall into it. That's on you, man. That's your fault. But it's a, it's just it's weird. Go ahead.
0: As we look to move toward wills, a little PSA. Again, we are going to look to do another one of these. Some of the biblical contradictions I do think have to do with the heavenly realm. The alleged, quote unquote. Yes, alleged. Good call. Um, The quote unquote biblical contradictions. A lot of them do have to do with the heavenly body. We don't know how it works fully. That's why things like Revelation are kind of shrouded in a, how, how does that work? We don't know. I don't know how God works on some of these things. That's what I was going to bring up. So, Will, I'll let you get to yours. Then I got another one that I was going to bring up in that vein. But, again, that's something we will be wrestling with on another podcast. We've done it before um, with Dr. Kerry uh, Williams.
1: Again, we, we have to talk about how our understanding is, is limited. Our understanding is incredibly limited. Like we started the episode with, like, the minute we, tr- we start to try to assume that we know as much or in some cases know more than god and, oh man god must have gotten this one wrong we really need to check ourselves because we- our our understanding is so minor compared to god's let me g- let's do a couple more and then we probably need to wrap um and we got a couple more questions let's make them hard to- to this hit. is the hard round all right so the permanence of the earth ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 4 uh solomon clearly states that the ab- the earth will abide forever then you go to Second Peter chapter 3, uh, where it's the familiar verse, verse 10, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up or will be laid bare. Um, so what do we have there, guys? The Solomon pretty clearly saying that the earth will abide forever, whereas Second Peter says that it's going to be burned up. Contradiction or no?
2: To quote the legendary Jose Mourinho, I prefer not to speak. If I speak, I'm in big trouble. Big trouble.
0: <laughs> and for those that don't understand that reference, yes, you can look up, um, you can, what was he, Chelsea's manager?
2: It is a soccer coach soccer who coach, didn't yes. want to criticize the referees, so he'd get fined. But it, it's a really useful quote. I'm saying that because this is a very hot-button issue <laughs> yes, of what is. happens to the earth, of is it burned up, is it around... I, I can't say that without picking a side on that very hot issue. So Will threw a
0: grenade. Uh, Will, Joe, why don't you uh, go ahead? And, <laughs> yeah, uh, thanks, thanks for that one. Catch thanks. that grenade. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is the point of Ecclesiastes? It's kind of like David when he says, you know, I basically I've never done any good thing. Come on, like from my mother's womb, and this is where original sin. It is, in my opinion, going for something different. What is he saying? Well, it's poetic. Let's consider the context. What advantage does man have? This is Ecclesiastes 1, 1, uh, or 1 verse 3. What advantage does man have at all his work? What, is he, uh, what he does under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. And the sun rises and the sun sets, and hastening to its place, it rises there again, blowing toward the south and turning toward the north. The wind continues swirling along, and on its circular courses the wind returns. I mean, he's, he's kind of talking about the cycles of, of life and like, hey, these things happen, man. This, is, this has been going on for forever. It's just going to continue to go on for forever. If I say, man, that's been happening for forever. Hold on a second. Has it really? Well, no, because I believe in young Earth. I mean, six six to ten thousand years has it really been happening for forever? No, but in, in when I say these things have been happening for forever, hey, the Earth remains forever. The sun rises, sunsets. Well, hold on a second. The, the right. sun was created on day four, and and you know the sun is again, it's going to burn up one of these days, and so it's all. It's all poetic, in my opinion. Ecclesiastes, it's not intended to be taken ultra-literally, and this is a super foundational principle that everything is built off of. He's saying these things have been taking place for forever. It's cyclical. I mean, this is what happens, and it's well, all Well, and vanity. the point is about
2: the vanity of our life and, and how vapid our life is, is we're we're not here for long. Like, it, when we die, the world keeps spinning.
0: Yes, I think that's really the point there. So not even getting into new heavens, new earth, uh, or any of those things, I think not, you can nice just chalk step. it up to, yeah, nice work. I think you can just chalk it up to like it is I, I just think that he, his whole point is this is all vanity, man. The earth is just going to continue to spin without you. I've done everything. That's the rest of the book. I've done everything. i tried it. Eat, drink, be merry. But at the end of the day, man, make sure that you're doing God's will. That's how he wraps the book. The conclusion when all has been hers, fear God and keep his commandments. Like, bada bing. Perfect wrap on the book. Earth will keep spinning, but your job is to fear God and keep his commandments. That's I think that's the point of Ecclesiastes. So bringing in the the first sec peter passages i think is
1: yeah will anything you'd add to that no y'all covered it well again the, the the point is that that our life is small that the generations pass away that the sun still rises all that stuff so you already covered it so let's move on
2: so is the earth going to last forever <laughs> 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 moving on <laughs> you can cover that on dogma how's that sound
0: yeah exactly that's, that's a great dogma lately yeah that's right um okay there's a couple that I want to get into. Um, We talked about this one off air. Answer this one quickly because I think, but I want to get into a different one. Seeing God. This is on the Atheist website. I've seen God face to face. My life is preserved. Genesis 32, 30 uh, in the context of Jacob wrestling with God. John 118, no man hath. Of course they use the King James, but no man has seen God at any time. It says in John 118. So wait, did Jacob, did Adam and Eve see God or did they not? Has any man actually seen God or not? I love
2: that they use the John one eighteen one one and really leave out later on in John where Philip says, show us the Father. And Jesus says, uh, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And so that question of has anyone seen God? Well, Jesus is God. Jesus walked among us. So, yes, you have in that sense. God has physically manifested himself. In the other sense, you could say at the burning bush, God, Moses saw God. God has ways of choosing to manifest himself, but what you very clearly see with those interactions where God says, you can't see me, nobody can see me and live, is there's a, like the, the fullness of God, the glory of God, the, and, and I know even in that it says, Moses beheld the glory of God, but there is a, something that we are not suited to see in this life. There There are, there's a, degree to which God has held him back there are a bunch of ways in the Bible that he chooses to manifest himself pillar of cloud pillar of fire angel of the Lord Jesus you know things like that but there's something also that has been held back I, I don't have any problem believing that that you have seen God in certain ways but you haven't seen
0: seen God I think the only person to ever Moses what does he see you can see my back and Moses' face glows to the point where he's wearing the veil because he saw God's back. I think he's the one that actually got to see God the Father in all his glory. Um, now you can say Isaiah and Ezekiel got to see God in the throne room. I really don't think that's what's being what's going on there. And John, because again, what Jack you said, hey, you've seen me. You've seen, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Therefore, there is an aspect of John is not really making a, a super big case of no one has ever like Isaiah did go up in the throne room. Isaiah did see God um, in that way and, and interacted with him. And so I don't think John's making that case. I think he's making the case of we haven't seen God in this way. Consider the whole the whole point of John 1 and really the whole book is Jesus is fulfilling all of these Old Testament things. And we're now seeing the word of God. We're seeing the creator. We're seeing the light of the world. We're seeing the tabernacle. We're seeing all of these things. No one's really ever seen God, and we're getting to, is his whole point, in my opinion. And so that's, I think that's more of what he's going for. John is not making a super strong case of like, well, these things never really did happen. No, I think you're just seeing God in different forms, if that makes sense. But no one has really beheld his glory fully because no man can do that and live. That's why Moses is covering his face.
2: Are you, well... Uh, you're getting a little confusing there with the Moses thing because Moses covered his face after being with God. And so if you're, did, you're saying it, it would seem that he actually did get to see the full glory of God. I don't think he did get to see the full glory of God. Well, that's what I'm
0: saying. I don't think he got to see the full glory of God. I think he got the closest as almost anybody has. Yeah, okay, I agree with that. And that's what I'm saying is why he had to cover it is that was different than the other ones. Isaiah doesn't come back and have to wear... He's shining like... Moses is shining it's so bright he's got to wear that for everybody else's sake that's a different encounter with God than anybody else but God's very selective in what he gets to see is what it seems like so I think that's the are you sure that that was the father that he was dealing with
2: that's a whole different rabbit trail
0: no I think most of the time we're seeing the sun but you know he could be the sun is the light of the world and so maybe he is seeing that I don't know that anybody's seen God the Father, so yeah, maybe maybe that's what I'm saying is maybe coming back around. Maybe Moses only did get to see, behold the light of the world.
2: I'm just cross examining you a little bit here, anyway.
0: I was gonna go into I was gonna go into yeah, Abraham, but um go for it. That one took a little while little longer. Abraham. Why he doesn't Kevin, I, Why he doesn't get punished for lying and for twice and for his mistakes basically why God Punishes Abimelech and punishes, what was it Pharaoh as well? Twice he punishes the other guy for Abraham's lies. I wanted to see what you guys had to say about that.
2: All right. That'd be an interesting one to close on, unless there was any other real pressing one we need to take on.
1: I think it's interesting. Um, no, I did want to get to those principles there at the end, so I'll give a quick um, answer. Jack Let you go, and then we'll, we'll end with the principles. And I know we were also going to address something about the extra books that people say the Bible is supposed to have. When I'm are, starting to feel like this could answer.
0: be a part two because there were several yeah, no we, kidding. No, kidding. that we didn't get to, and I have a feeling in the deep end we may have others that come up where people are very – curious about certain things that they've heard. So we may end up getting a part two out of this. We'll see, depending on the comments. So comment lots, I'll just say that. If you're seeing this on Facebook, whatever,
1: and you have some that you want us to address, comment, there if we go. get enough, there we'll go. do a part two. The first side of it is that we find out later um, that Abraham technically wasn't fully lying, that that Sarah was, in a way, his, his sister. He clearly did exaggerate, um, and he covered the truth up, partially lied, however you want to put it, um, in not telling Pharaoh, not telling Abimelech that Sarah was his wife, um, but I do think it's important to note that uh, it was it was not fully a lie; that there there was some truth to it. Uh, but uh, the question of whether or not God condoned it, uh, whether or not he condoned it, is one thing. What we the only thing we know is that he did punish Abimelech and he did punish Pharaoh for taking another man's wife. And you say, well, that's not really fair. They didn't know. At the same time, that doesn't to me, that's not necessarily saying that God condoned Abraham's lie. I think that's that's a jump to say that oh well, he he supported it and he condoned Abraham's lying by punishing the other two. No, he punished them for doing something that was wrong doesn't mean that hes he you know was in Abraham's ear about, okay, hey, go lie to Pharaoh, go lie to Abimelech. no, he simply punished those two for something they did wrong. Jack, what would you have to say?
2: Well, the other thing is, culturally, as the sister, he would be the, the protector. Like, they would need his permission. I mean, that's how it worked with the dowry and, like, you know, if you're going to, as we see with uh, Laban later on, you know, like, uh, and and with, uh, you know, kind of the family of, of who has permission to give these women away. And so that even when he said, this is my sister, and they took her, they were in the wrong in doing that. And so... Uh, the curse that came on their house, you know, that there was barrenness, there were, you know, things that they had to reckon with, I think goes along with that of, hey, you've done something you weren't supposed to do, and they knew they weren't supposed to do it. I mean, they just kind of went and took what they wanted, and that was God protecting his own and, and all that. Um, I don't know. There's a, a guy, I read a, a book that makes the case that Abraham really did nothing wrong in all of it, and it was a little bit of a stretch, but he he puts together a pretty at least a a respectable case for it, I would say, uh, and and the fact that he comes out of it blessed, that he essentially plunders the Egyptian, and in the same way that uh, Israel later comes out of Egypt with all of their their treasures and and stuff like that. Right after the plagues, Abraham, yeah. right? Abraham prefigures that in in this story. So I I don't know. It's it's a fun curiosity.
0: I got nothing to add. That's that's good. I just wanted to test you guys on that. Seems like God very much cares about the relationship. That is, is it, you know, he wants to make sure, Hey, this is my guy and I'm sticking with him. And I think I, I want to get that book from you, So we'll have to do that, but will get us into the principles.
1: Yeah. So very quickly again, what, what do we hit like six? Like there there's like Joe said, there's, there's a lot more that we could have talked about here. Um, but the principles that we need to understand when we're talking about contradictions or alleged contradictions is that the first one is that you have to be talking about the same person, place, or thing as with the case of like the The arc alleged contradictions that clearly violates that principle because it's two different things, it's two different arcs. The second principle is that it's got to be the same time period that you're talking about. That speaks to Joe's point earlier about what might be true for somebody at at one time could be untrue at a later time. You got to be talking about the same time, the same person, place, and thing, or thing, and at the same time. And the third thing, you got to be talking about the same sense, uh, the same type of, again, like if I said, Joe, you are incredibly rich but you're also incredibly poor at the same time talking about you talking about the same time you could be rich in a spiritual sense and poor in a in a uh you know material or in a possessions type of sense got to be talking about the same type of thing and i think a lot of times when you look at the alleged contradictions not all the time but you just apply these principles and you can pretty well figure out okay what's the disconnect here again not all of them but for those of you who might be just getting into this you know never heard any of this stuff before those three, I would say, are, are the first three that I would have you consider when you're looking at "quote unquote" alleged contradictions, because generally they're violating one of those three principles. That's
0: good stuff. That's good stuff. Um, all right, fellas. Just trying to think. If there's. I, I think that's about it. I think we gotta we we gotta wrap. We're just about at our hour mark. Um, again, please comment if you got some. If you know, if maybe you disagree with our approach to some of these things, or have different explanations for. Hey, I've always thought this. We'd love to know. Uh, but we'd also love to know if you've heard some. You say, "Man, this kind of stumps me," and I, I don't exactly know. You can probably Google and find the answer from Got Questions or whatever else. I mean, some people do a good job with it. But if you want to hear our take on some of the alleged contradictions, maybe that you've run across, um, we'd certainly love to do it. And uh, you know, do either a part two or just hit it in the deep end and maybe drive some subscriptions that way. And uh, you'll have to tune in to uh, Patreon and our Focus Plus for that content. So we'll see how it goes, and if we get a ton of comments, then you know we'll consider part two. But anyway, fellas, anything else we want to add before we wrap up? Remember the sale,
2: 25% off all week long. Uh, check that out. Grab a book, a DVD, whatever content you like. That's right. All right, we'll talk to you guys next week.